Good evening, church. Today's scripture reading is taken from Philippians 1, verses 12 to 26. Philippians 1, verses 12 to 26. I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. And for most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Some indeed preach Christ for envy and rivalry, but others for, from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pre pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in, that, and in that I rejoice. Yes, and I will rejoice, for I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance, as it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be at all ashamed, but that with full courage now, as always, Christ will, will be honoured in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me, as to live is Christ, and to die is gain. If I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. Yet which, one sh yet which I shall choose, I cannot tell. I'm hard-pressed between the two. My, des my desire is to depart and be Christ, for that is far better. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. Convinced of this, as I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith, so that in me you may have ample cause to glory in Jesus Christ because of my coming to you again. And this is the word of the Lord. Church can invite you to stand as we receive the gospel reading for this evening. <coughs> the gospel reading for this evening is found in the gospel of St. Luke in the 21st verse, beginning at verse 1. Glory to Christ our Savior. Luke's gospel, chapter 21, reading from verse 1 to verse 4. <coughs> then Jesus looked up and saw the rich putting their gifts into the offering box. And he saw a poor widow put in two small copper coins. And he said, Truly I tell you, this poor widow has put in more than all of them. For they all contributed out of their abundance, but she out of her poverty put in all she had to live on. This is the gospel of Christ. Praise to Christ our Lord. Will you please be seated? <coughs> this weekend we start a mini three-part series that will help focus, help us focus on the team in our church camp. And it's basically to reinforce what Bishop Raphael will be sharing with us this coming June. 
And for those of us who may not be able to join us, you have not joined up for the church camp, well, nevertheless, what I'm going to share over the next three weeks is a kind of a Rima word for all of us. And so as you see that the title for today's sermon is simply the words, let go. So with that, you can invite us to just bow our heads as we come to the Lord in prayer. So gracious and heavenly Father, we thank you once again for your word that is available for us. We pray, Lord, that you will speak to us this evening on this important subject for us to let go, let go of the things that sometimes we hold on to so dearly, but yet these are things that are not suitable for us. These are things that are detrimental to our spiritual walk. So, Father, I pray that your Spirit will just speak to each and every one of us that the words I share will not return back void, that rather it will be planted deep in our hearts that there will be a response. In Jesus' name we pray. <coughs> Amen. How do you catch a monkey? Now, I'm not referring to our little children, huh? but I'm referring to those critters that swing from tree to tree. Indeed, how do you catch this slippery animal? Well, in Africa, hunters have a rather unique but clever way of capturing them. And all they need is just a coconut. And what do they do with this coconut? Well, what they will do is they will drill a, a small hole on top of the coconut, and the hole is just small enough for a monkey's hand to squeeze through it. Then as bait, what they will be doing next, they will fill it with all sorts of things which the monkey will be tempted with. Things like sweets, nuts, bananas, etc., etc. Next, they will then attach one end of a chain to the coconut and then secure the other end to a strong and sturdy tree. Where's my tree? Yeah, okay. All that is needed now <coughs> is to wait till morning. And sure enough, during the night, a curious monkey will swing by and unexpectedly, spotting the, the coconut on the ground, he will be drawn towards it. Now, seeing what's inside the monkey, uh, seeing what's inside the coconut, rather, the monkey will instinctively slip his hand into the hole of the fruit. And the moment he does that, he is instantly trapped, not realizing the danger he is in. You may say, how is this so? Well, you see, the moment he grasps what's inside, the monkey's clenched fist acts as a kind of a lock. You see, the moment he, he, he grabs it, his hand cannot now come out of that hole. The only way for the monkey to escape, for his hand to slip out of that hole, is when he is willing to let go of what he was holding on to. But you know, the monkey, being the monkey, he will not release his price. And so he will struggle all night to get free. And hence, when the morning arrived, the monkey will still stubbornly hold on to the bait, and all the hunter need to do is simply throw a net, and the monkey is captured. This illustration simply reminds us of the need for you and I to let go, to release our hold on the undesirable things that we shouldn't be holding on tightly to. You see, truth is, the monkey in the story, he could have easily been freed, saved his own life, only if he released his hold to what he was grasping on. But because he didn't, he ended up 
in bondage. And you know what? Unfortunately, many of us, we follow this cliche of monkey see, monkey do. We like the monkey, we still hold on to things tightly to what we shouldn't be holding on to. We choose to follow this action of the monkey. And as we hold on to the things that are not good, we find that these things impede our spiritual growth. Things like unforgiveness. We hold on to unrepentance. We hold on to the, to the one of always complaining, blaming others. We have resentment and so forth and so forth. Yes, there may be things that's worthwhile to cling tightly onto. Things like being thankful, joyful, being patient and so forth. But unfortunately, for some of us, there are baggage or burdens that we have kept for ages. And goodness, we are still keeping a hold of them even today. These are the bondages that tend to weigh us down from which you and I need to be released from. As the author of Hebrews chapter 12 verse 1 says, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. So church, the question for us this evening is this. What is it that you and I need to let loose of? What is it that we need to let go that stumbles our Christian walk? Today, I want to explore with you three specific things which we may be guilty of grasping onto instead of letting go. We're going to look at a passage here in Philippians chapter 1, and we find that the Apostle Paul here, as he was writing to the church in Philippi, the three things he tells them that they need to let go all begins with the letter C. And to find out what they are, can I invite you to turn with me to the reading which Charlotte has just read for us, to, if, to Philippians chapter 1, looking at verse 12 and 26. Now, to understand the context of this passage, we find that the Apostle Paul, at the point of writing this epistle, he was in prison. And being in prison, he was in chains. And he was in chains simply because of the gospel message. So the first area, therefore, that we need to let go of are the chains that bind you and I. You see, more than anything else, Paul's desire was to preach about Christ in Rome. He knew that if he could conquer Rome, the superpower of the time, it would mean reaching millions with the message of God's love. It would mean that the entire Roman Empire would be saved from the dark side. And this in turn would eventually lead to the whole world into salvation. What a wonderful desire, isn't it? It's very much like, you know, for many of us when we do mission work, you know, if you have gone to mission, you know that with the moment you go to the rural area to reach the whole entire village, what do we need to do? We just share the good news with the head of the village. And once the village, head of the village becomes a believer, the entire village follows. So that was Paul's desire. He wanted the whole of Rome to come to know about Christ. But here's the problem. How was it possible to do so when Paul was not a free man, when Paul was a prisoner? How was it possible then for him to spread the gospel since he was now 
in chains. You know, I believe many in such a situation would have given up easily, but not for this man. And we can learn from Paul's attitude that despite his change, he was not discouraged, he was not despondent. He refused to allow what was affixed to his wrist to have a firm grip on him to control his life. Paul didn't allow the change to be an obstacle in holding him down from fulfilling his God-given mission. So instead of being defeated, what did he do? Well, we read that he consecrated the chains unto the Lord. He surrendered them to God, recognizing that his change was nevertheless an opportunity for him still to advance the gospel by establishing contact with the Lord, with the lost. He declared in verse 12 and 13, he says, what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. Yes, he was in change. He was in prison. He may not be able to go to Rome, but he still could share the good news. And who did he share it with? We are told that he shared the good news with the Roman soldiers who were guarding him. You see, as a prisoner of Rome, Paul was chained to a Roman guard 24 hours a day. And so if you do a quick calculation, you show that a shift changed every six hours, that would mean that Paul could witness to at least four centurions each day. And this is the best part. As he shared the gospel, these centurions cannot leave the post. They cannot say, I don't want to hear your message. They have to stand there listening to Paul sharing the good news. They have to listen to him preaching about Jesus while on duty. So we can say that actually Paul had a captive audience, huh? all right? And you know that as he shared the gospel, it will not be long before some of them gave their life to the Lord. So Paul didn't allow the change to control him. Furthermore, we see that it is through Paul's change that gave courage to his fellow brothers. Verse 14 says this, The brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to now speak the word without fear. You see, his fellow brothers who knew about Paul's predicament, that he was in prison, but yet at the same time, he knew that they knew that he was not despondent, he was not discouraged, and yet he was willing to share the gospel they saw this determination of Paul, and as a result, they themselves became more daring in spreading the word to others. So yes, discouragement may have a way of spreading, but so too does encouragement. And the principle for us here to remember is this, that these change that may appear in our lives, God can always turn them around and use it to accomplish His purpose. Amen? But in order for this to happen, what we must first do is we must be first be willing to release this change to God as Paul did. We must be willing to let go of this change that is holding us down. And you find that besides the apostle, there were many examples of other godly men and women who despite being in chains, they did not hold on to it. 
They surrender their condition to God, and God turn it around. <laughs> One such individual is this man, Nick Vujic. Remember him? You all know him? I believe many of you may have come across him. He came to Singapore before. I think Carl knows him, yeah? I'm trying to get Carl to bring him in. Maybe church camp, huh? I don't know. Okay, we see how. <coughs> all right? And you find that this man's life is truly remarkable. Born with a rare disorder that left him without four limbs. He struggled mentally, emotionally, and physically as a child. I mean, how many of you can survive? Those on one hand already, we struggle, isn't it? Or, or one of our four limbs, we struggle. But this man had no limbs at all. But yet, the fact remains that he came to terms with his change. And as a result of his determination, did you know that he graduated with a degree in accounting? as well as a degree in financial planning. And amazingly, he's even married with children. All this is possible. Why? Because he didn't allow the chains of his disability to hold him down. And today, Nick Vujic is a motivational speaker worldwide, bringing hope and encouragement to many around the world. <laughs> so what are the chains that's holding us back? What are the chains that you and I need to be set free of instead of clutching tightly onto? Yes, our change may not be as dramatic or difficult as some of the examples mentioned, but nevertheless, we must not grip on to them, but we must be willing to let go of its hold on us. If Paul didn't let go of his change, he would still be whining in prison. He would not be able to share the good news to the soldiers. Paul next, as we move on to verse 15 to 19, we find that Paul next had to let go of his critics. And we all have our critics, don't we? I'm sure we all encountered and have to deal with them at some points in our lives. And critics are people who basically have nothing to say, nothing good to say about us. Their words appear hurtful and at times even condemning. And truth be told, the unkind words spoken, they do injure us. And in reality, sometimes the pain goes deep down. I mean, if you were to be criticized as stupid, as idiot, useless, especially by someone that you love or by people that we trust, you know, these words that these people speak to us can inflict a wound that is so deep that it leaves a negative mark which can take years for us to recover. And you find that in Paul's case, his critics were his fellow preachers, kakinangno, people who share the good news. They were the ones who were criticizing him. They were challenging him. They were commenting on his preaching. Verse 58 says, they tell us that they did so out of envy and rivalry. They were jealous of Paul's preaching. Maybe Paul was winning more people. Maybe Paul was more eloquent. We don't know. But they were doing so. They criticized him because of envy and rivalry. But what did Paul do? How did Paul act to his critics? Look with me to verse 18. He says these words. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed and in that I rejoice. I like this response of his. And we do well to learn from Paul. 
to translate this modern day term, Paul is simply saying, so what? So what if you criticize me? Paul didn't allow the criticism or the negative words to affect him. His thinking was simply this, who cares about what you say about my preaching? Who cares about the flaw that I have? As long as Christ is preached, that is more important. Yes, criticisms are indeed hard to take. Yes, the negative words may be constantly on Paul's mind, but Paul didn't let this be a distraction to his cause. If he didn't dwell the criticism throw at him and dwell on it, it would certainly have an impact on him and he would not be able to advance the gospel. You know, I recall a kind of a similar incident <coughs> when I just graduated from my theological studies way back in 2005 and I was returning home to serve in my home church at St. Hilda's. So I was assigned to preach at a Wednesday morning service, which consists around 20-odd members. You know, at the end of the service, the vicar who was, you know, evaluating me asked me to come to his office. So there I was with fear and trembling, not, not wondering whether I preached wrongly or, you know, whether I was theologically wrong. I came in. And as I sat in his office, he showed me, he says, you know, Darren, there's nothing wrong with your sermon. The only reason why I called you in was to critique my grammar. He wanted to critique my grammar. He said that I didn't pronounce certain words correctly. You know, next time those readers, uh, when, you, when, you want, when you read the Psalms, uh, there's, no, there's no Psalms 21. It's Psalm 21. Okay, so take note. Uh. So when you pronounce plural men, it's men. Okay, not men, men. All right? And then when you pronounce the word TH, uh, or any words that begins with TH, you must... Your tongue must come out, okay? So here he was criticizing, not on my preaching, not on the message, but he was criticizing my grammar. Well, I'm not sure if this comment will be discouraging to you. But the thing was this, if I dwell upon it, I would have been like the trapped monkey. You see, like Paul, I've learned to let go of it. I've learned to say, it's all right, it doesn't matter. But at the same time, I realized I have to improve on myself, okay? But I didn't, the, the point I'm trying to make here is that I didn't let the critic of my vicar affect me, but rather I learned from it and I let it go. So Paul faced his change. Paul had to let go of his critics. And now we see in verses 20 to 26, Paul now had to let go of the crisis that he was facing. And what was the current crisis that Paul was facing? <laughs> he pointed this out in verses 23 and 25. He said this, I'm hard-pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. I will remain. You see, on the one hand, Paul wanted to be heaven-bound with Christ. Who don't want that, isn't it? To be in the presence of Jesus. That's a wonderful place, to be in heaven. But on the other hand, he knew that his time was not yet come. He knew that to be alive gave him more opportunity to minister to more lost souls. So both options have the benefits. Both options was good. And so he was in this crisis. What should he do? Well, 
Despite his crisis, we find that Paul finally concluded in verse 25. He says that he would remain so as to continue in the progress and joy in the faith with the ultimate aim that Christ will be honoured. So yes, crisis, whatever we face, the change, the criticism, they, don't take, they, they do take away our joy. But as highlighted here, the moment we hold on to them, it will only cause us much despair. It will only cause us not to be able to move forward. And if we are do facing some crisis in our life, here's another principle that is worth remembering. That when there's a crisis, know that there's always Christ around. What a wonderful promise, isn't it? In this story, we see how Jesus and the disciples were in the boat. There was a big storm. There was this crisis. The disciples feared that they were going to die. They were going to drown. But in the midst of the crisis, there's Christ. And Christ was able to calm the storm. So change, criticism, and crisis, all these are common to any one of us. The Apostle Paul encountered them. So did Joseph. Not this Joseph, but the son of the patriarch Jacob. Consider his story and what he went through. Joseph was someone who was despised by his ten older brothers. They badmouthed him to their father. They hated him so much that they even sold him as a slave. Imagine your own flesh and blood betraying and disowning you. Then later on, we find that he had further to endure more criticism, false words from Potiphar's wife who accused him of molestation. And then for that, he had to face hardship as he literally had to end up in prison in chains for something he didn't do. And then when the opportunity came, when he somehow, if you know the story, how God, you know, through, 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 the, through many miracles, he, he, he somehow became the second in command of, of Egypt. And then there was a famine, and when the brothers came to ask for food, there was this crisis now in his life. His brothers was coming to him asking for food. Should he forgive his brothers for what they had done to him? Joseph faced the crisis. He faced the change. He faced... What's the third C? Change, crisis, and... What? What did he do? Well, you find that Joseph released all to God. He released his critics to God, the harsh words of his sibling, as well as that of Potiphar's wife. He let go of the crisis, being sold as a slave, unjustly condemned and ending up in prison. And all of this, Joseph had not held on tightly to them. If he did, the consequence would be great. He loosened his hold on them, and as a result, God was able to use him to be the saviour of his family. I'm going to invite the team to come back up on stage. And so as I conclude, you know, church, I want you to know that God doesn't want us 
to be miserable and live in defeat. The problem is, it lies with us. Why we are living in defeat and being miserable is because we put ourselves in this situation. But God wants to set us free. What is it then that's holding and preventing you from moving forward? What are the unresolved hurts, the issues, the baggage, the problems, the sorrow, the mountains, the storm in our life that seem to overwhelm us all? There are many today who may be afflicted and remain trapped like the monkey. And that's what the devil wants of us. Today, we don't have to be like them. Why hold on to what can harm us? Why cling on to stuff that can stutter our spiritual growth? I want to end with this last story. It's about a man who was walking on the edge, and he suddenly slipped. And as he slipped, he managed to hang on to a branch that was next to the cliff of the tree. And as he was hanging on to the branch, he was crying out, Help! Help! Is there anybody up there? <coughs> For a while, there was no one, and then he suddenly heard a voice. The man's name was Jim. The voice says, Jim, I'm here. So Jim looked up. He couldn't see anyone. He looked down. He didn't see anyone. He says, yes, how do you know my name? And the voice says, I'm God. I'm here to help you. Yes, God, please help me. Jim continued to cry. And so God says, I will help you, but you must let go. You must let go of that branch and I will catch you. The moment Jim heard this, he looked up, he saw no one, he looked down, he saw the deep raven that he was going to fall in. What do you think he did? He cried out, help, help, is there anyone else? We may laugh at this, but sometimes isn't this a reflection of us? We hold on to things that we shouldn't be holding on to, that God wants to set us free. The bondage, the baggage that we have in our church for so many years, God wants to set us free. And this church camp is my hope that the message that is spoken to us will give us this fresh hope, new season for us as we move ahead. That we put aside all this baggage that we learn to let go and let God minister to us so that we can move ahead as a church glorifying God. So, the lesson that we learned today is this. Sometimes holding on does more damage than letting go. So my prayer this evening is that as we hear the words, we learn to let go. Whatever is holding us back, the hurts, the pains, the baggage, the past, let it go.